Oh, no. Nell, no, you are not going to call Katie. I have to. She needs me. She's always needed me. Look, there's been a special bond between me and Katie. Do you know that of all the girls, she's the only one that ever called me mama? Well, there you are. That's probably Katie now. Oh, thank you, Ed. <laughs> Go ahead, Julia. Hi, honey. No, there ain't no Julio here. <laughs> That means only one thing. The Chicago Grown Folk Podcast is on the air for the summer of 2021. Here's what you missed. Woman carjacked at gunpoint by a group of men in the loop. At about 1.45 a.m., the woman was getting into her vehicle in the 700 block of South LaSalle Street when four or five men walked up with guns and demanded the vehicle and her things. Woman killed another hurt in West Garfield Park shooting. They were standing in an alley at 2.27 a.m. in the 4500 block of West Wilcox Street when someone fired shots, striking Maya Sims in the head and a 22-year-old in her right leg. Both women were taken to Mount Sinai Hospital where Sims, 25, was pronounced dead. The other woman was listed in good condition. And, you know, I was listening to um, talk radio here in the city, and there was a woman on there. uh, She was the host talking about how her son was really bothered by so many fireworks going off in her neighborhood. And then she threw up this thing about PTSD because, particularly when you live here in Chicago, because there's so much gun violence and things going on. She says that a lot of times when her son hears these loud booms and things, that it's pretty stressful. And she was explaining this to a caller. It was a younger guy. And his response to her was, well, yeah, but people that shoot off fireworks got to live, too. And around about this time of the year, so many people are shooting off fireworks that everybody should be used to hearing them and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's not so much about people wanting to shoot off fireworks and have a good time. You know, it's the summertime. I want to go out, pop, 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 boom, boom, boom. You know, that's not really so much the issue. The issue really is when a lot of these people are shooting off these fireworks, they're shooting them off very irresponsibly they're running through the streets with these things they're shooting them at each other they're shooting them at people's houses throwing in people's garbage cans they're shooting off excessive amounts of them and that's really the point that this caller was missing police are looking for two suspects wanted in connection with the robbery that happened wednesday on the cta red line station a 49 year old man stepped off the train at about 3:13 a.m at the garfield station when two men approached him and implied that they had a weapon and demanded his items. 
The suspects ran off with the man's bag. They're described as 45 to 60 years old. Listen, man, I know there are a lot of people out there that have rough circumstances, but if you're between the ages of 45 and 60 and you still are robbing people for petty cash, I mean, you might as well just hang it up. And then see, the problem here is now with this law being repealed, what will likely happen is they will increase the amount of pesticides and other industrial chemicals that leach into our streams, wetlands, and underground water sources. You know, and I said this before about a lot of these environmental rollbacks, you know, these companies are only going to do what they're required to do. They don't give a damn about dumping chemicals and toxins and pesticides into the water if it's going to save them a few pennies. They don't care about putting this stuff in the atmosphere. So when you're talking about rolling back a lot of regulations, well, these people that run these chemical plants and things, they're only going to do what they're required to do. And in some cases, they don't even do that much. And I got to tell you something else. It seems to me like we've had this fight before. I remember back in the 80s and Silent, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I remember back in the 80s, there was all this talk, probably about the mid 80s or so. There was all this talk about acid rain. Do you remember that? Now it's about time that I clear this. So pardon me, miss, but I'd like for you to hear this. If you kiss me, then I'll kiss you. You see, I feel real good inside. Yes, yes. Rest in peace, Shock G. Rest in peace, DMX. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the 43rd episode of the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast. I am E, your host for the podcast. And as always, on the other side of the room, we have none other than the silent DJ. His job is to keep us on point, and that's what he's going to do. And he also assists me with technical things, like helping me work this semi-cheap equipment that we have up here that always tends to go bad on us. Every podcast, we always have some kind of recording challenges. Now, I'm not going to worry about telling you where to find us, because if you're listening to us, you've already found us anyway. But what we do on this podcast, we talk a lot of society and culture issues. We're not a podcast that has a lot of explicit or ratchet material. We don't do celebrity gossip up here. I mean, this is not TMZ, Entertainment Tonight, Lipstick Alley, Page Six, and there's nothing wrong with any of those platforms, but they do what they do, and we do what we do. There's enough celebrity chasing going on out here. There's enough ratchetness going on out here. There's enough explicit material floating around out here. So we here at the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast decided we don't need to add to that. We're just a couple of average guys here in Chicago recording a podcast and talking about all this chaos that is going on in the world in 2021. And if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that there is never a shortage of stories to talk about here in 2021. And by the way, we here at the Chicago Grown Folk Podcast are not on that's right. There's no dusting going on up here or no other kind of illicit drug use. 
you're going to find that this is not your typical podcast. We're not drinking wine up here. We're not drinking liquor or smoking blunts or none of that. We don't have any sponsorship. We don't have any agendas to push. We're not working with any teams or have donors or backers or none of that stuff. Now, let me explain what's going on on our 43rd podcast. Initially, we were going to put this podcast out back in June 2021. Silent and I came up here. We started recording the podcast. And what wound up happening, and this is not the first time, if you listen to this podcast in the past, you've heard me say this. This is not the first time this has happened to us where we were starting to record a podcast and and something happens where we don't get a chance to finish. Well, same scenario here with our 43rd podcast. We came up here a while ago, started recording, didn't get a chance to finish. So this podcast is going to be a mix of things that we recorded then and things that we are recording now. And anything that's left over, well, we'll put it in our podcast vault and maybe somewhere down the line, it'll wind up on our stuff that didn't make it segment. I want to talk about something that has been going on here in this city I think it's been going on for at least the past, I want to say no more than five years, maybe four years. I don't remember when the first time it was I heard this on the news, you know, and as if this city didn't have enough challenges to deal with on a day to day basis, uh, there's always going to be something else to throw into the mix. Now, I've lived in this city my whole life. The 4th of July, maybe the past 10 years, it's not what it used to be. Over the past few years, I've been watching the news here, and the big story on the 4th of July here now is the violence that goes on. You know, the city's trying to keep violence down, and we don't, you know, they don't want an excessive amount of people being shot at. I remember I got on this podcast maybe about five, six years ago, and I talked about a 4th of July weekend that they were saying that was probably one of one of the deadliest 4th of Julys that we've had in years. And I even got on this podcast and I read a story or two from some of the stuff that went on on that particular 4th of July weekend. And it seems like ever since then, that's always kind of been the headline. 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, any of these big summer holidays, the storyline here is always about violence. Now, when I was a kid growing up in the city, I mean, yeah, there was some violence, but nothing like what is going on now in this kind of new era of nonsense, for lack of a better word, this new era of nonsense that goes on. You know, typically the storylines were the fireworks and the taste of Chicago and, you know, that type of thing. But now in 2021, the storyline is always about violence. The city's trying to keep down the violence, this, that, and the other. Well, one of the challenges that the city's been dealing with the past five years that I've noticed this has been going on. You have um, this thing that happens where you have large groups of young people that run downtown and they create a lot of chaos, running up and down the street, throwing fireworks at police. And in some cases, they're harassing people, just keeping up all kinds of chaos and nonsense. Now, from my understanding, what happens with these people is somebody will throw something up on social media that there's going to be a gathering downtown and I and I guess it spreads around and that's how you have a lot of people running downtown. I don't know if that's the particular case in the 4th. Uh, typically it's 4th of July, people are just going to come downtown anyway to hang out. 
But in the past, when these gatherings happen randomly, that somebody would throw some up on social media and a bunch of people would come running downtown. And I imagine that because it's the fourth, people are going to come downtown anyway. They're going to come down to Millennium Park and hang out or Grant Park or where, whatever the case may be. And then probably what happens is people send out a text or something or or post some on Facebook, hey, downtown for the fourth and this, that, and the other. And then people see it and then they start to say, well, hey, let's go down there and see what's going on. And then before you know it, you got a mass of teens and young people coming downtown and they're creating chaos. Now, here's the thing. The city should be open for any and everybody to enjoy. Come downtown, you have a good time, and then you go home. But it shouldn't be a situation where people are coming down and they're creating chaos. I want to play a little bit of this news clip from that particular day. We begin this hour 18 with chaos in the loop. Fireworks aimed at police officers and crowds. Police cruisers damaged illegal guns toted around in backpacks. That's how a downtown alderman describes the issues with massive crowds in the city this weekend. Our Tara Molina is live in the loop. And Tara, this is not the first time we've seen problems like these. Erica, no, unfortunately it's not. We've reported on these mass crowds and issues associated with them for years now, closely over the past couple of months. But looking back at the issues here in the loop last night, the chaos that we saw break out here, Chicago police say they had it all under control. All right, they're jumping on cars, they're jumping on the car, breaking the car windows. Cell phone videos of what the 4th of July looked like in downtown Chicago fireworks thrown near officers blocking off streets and working to control the crowds. Crowds of hundreds swarming streets in a loop, twerking on Chicago police cruisers. They're smashing out the squad car windows with that. CPD wouldn't tell us how many of their cruisers were damaged. Uh, we had a lot of reports of assault, battery, theft, uh, and people just running wild and fighting in the street. Superintendent David Brown said when he spoke out overnight, more than 60 people were arrested Sunday night. And that's not all, according to Alderman Brian Hopkins. And a disturbingly high number of those arrests involved a teenager with a gun. We had guns in backpacks, we had guns in pockets, a large number of firearms present. We're really lucky no one was murdered in the loop last night. Two officers were injured while responding to these large groups, and what we're told were weaponized fireworks. One of them probably has permanent hearing damage from a firework that was thrown at his head. With CPD forced to enact a 10 p.m. curfew to clear out the crowds, they wouldn't tell me how many weapons they took off people arrested in those crowds, but posted this video to Twitter of their work this weekend and responded to our questions about how they planned for and controlled these crowds with, quote, the Chicago Police Department had sufficient resources deployed to manage the crowds and ensure public safety. This sufficient? It wasn't enough. But with departments working together, he calls the proactive and reactive city response better than what we've seen in the past year. They weren't able to stop what happened last night, but they were able to contain it to some degree. Now, still tonight, Chicago police have not addressed the alderman's claims, the alderman's description of the number of illegal guns taken off the street here, and they have denied sharing any kind of information on their deployment plan for months with us. But we do know tonight the two officers that were injured here in the loop, they are expected to be okay. Erica? So, Tara, what about the mayor? Is Mayor Lori Lightfoot saying anything about all of this? 
Erica, of course, we reached out to her today for a response, not only on the two officers injured, but what we saw break out here last night and the city equipment that was damaged during all of this. No response from her office quite yet. All right, Tara Molina, thank you. All right, so you heard the clip. And if you watch the video, like I was sitting here watching the video and um, it just looked like a lot of chaos. It looked like a lot of chaos. And I don't know exactly what is the point of downtown area or any area in this city to gather and cause a lot of destruction. Now, again, like I said, I've lived in the city my whole life. We went downtown on the 4th of July. When I say we, myself and friends, you know, you, you hop the train, you go downtown and, you, you know, you look around or you go to Buckingham Fountain or there was no Millennium Park then, but you went down to Grant Park or even if you just kind of walked around. But there was never anything happening like what I saw here, running downtown and running through the streets and toting guns and all this stuff that you heard in this video. Some of it might have been hyperbolic. I was listening to the Alderman talk. Some of his uh, talk sounded a little bit hyperbolic to me, but I'm looking at this video and whether he was engaging in hyperbole or not, I mean, I got eyes. I can see what I, you know, what I saw. I saw people running, just running wild. This seems to be like the new thing now. And I, I don't I don't know what's behind it. I don't know what. And by the way, there's a nice percentage of young people who see this type of thing and they don't want any parts of it. So I, this is not a knock on young people or whatever. But it, this particular crowd that does this, I, I don't get it. And I know people want to have fun. There's nothing wrong with having fun, but not having fun at other people's expense. And that's what's going on here. And uh, I know that there is a percentage of people to say, well, if they had stuff to do where they lived and they wouldn't then they wouldn't come downtown. But I'm going to tell you something, man. These people weren't coming downtown looking for something to do. These people came downtown to create chaos. Because if you want to come and do something downtown, then come down there and do it. You know, come down there and hang out. You can go uh, shopping or, or, or walk up and down Michigan Avenue or walk here and there. Like, same way we did when we were teens. I mean, we didn't have, I mean, I grew up in these same neighborhoods. We didn't have a whole lot to do back then. But what did we do? We came, if we came downtown, we came down there to you came down there to look around and hang out. You, you know, you talk to girls or whatever the case may be. But it was never a situation where we came down there just to create a bunch of destruction because we didn't have anything to do where we were at. And even still, whether there's something to do where they live or not, you still don't come downtown and act an ass. Jumping on top of police cars, twerking and this type of thing. I mean, that, I mean all that protesting that went on last year, that, that's not what the protesting was about for people to run and be able to jump on top of police cars and twerk. You know what I mean? That can't be what the end game to all of that protesting was. And I'm looking at this video and I see a lot of young people. And again, the question that, what do I always say? Where are these people's parents at? I don't know what the city is going to do about this. You know, and I typically hate to jump right into these type of topics, right? When I start the podcast off, you know, our opening rambling segment, which this is typically what I do when we open up. And I got to tell you, this is going to be the tone for most of the podcast because I mean, there's just so much stuff happening until you just can't help but talk about it, you know. But now what we're going to do now, you heard me talk about us recording half of a podcast. So so what I want to do now is I want to switch over to this portion. This is from our opening rambling segment that I recorded on our initial 43rd podcast. So we're going to switch over to that and then we're going to we're going to get down to the business. A couple of years ago, I got on this podcast and I talked about a friend of ours who owns a house that sits right next door to an abandoned house. 
there were two people who went into that abandoned house and they were squatting. It's a couple, a man and a woman. Now, the house is abandoned and has no running water, no electricity, no gas. But yet these two people have gotten into this house and they've been squatting and they've been there now for about a couple of years. Whenever it was I recorded that podcast, that's when he was first telling us about what was going on in this house, in this abandoned house. Now, the thing about this couple who are squatting in this house, they're known throughout the neighborhood as kind of the local, for lack of a better word, vagrants. And what they do is they find an abandoned house and they get in these houses and they stand there until someone comes and kicks them out. Before they were staying in this house, they were staying in another abandoned house until they were kicked out because somebody took the house over and started to renovate it. So that's how they found their way into this house. Now, again, no running water, no electricity. But the thing about it is the guy is kind of um, he's one of these people that he knows how to do a little bit of everything. He has a few survival skills. So it's easy for him to stand in an abandoned home because he can kind of rig something up as to where they could at least get by. Now, they're not going to live comfortably. I mean, how comfortable can you be in a house with no electricity, no gas, no running water? But he can rig something up enough to where they can go in there and squat and have a place to stay. And this couple are also addicts. Our friend was saying he believes they're heroin addicts. So you also have that going on as well. Now, when these people first got into the house, he didn't know who they were. But he knew somebody was going in and out of there. He tried to get in contact with the people that used to own the house to let them know somebody was going in and out of their home. When he's heard somebody in there, he's called the police on occasion. They'll come out. They'll look around. A couple times they ran these people off. But the only thing that they did was once the police left, they would come right back and continue to squat in this house. He's put in complaints with the city and nothing was done. So at some point, you've done all you can do. You know, if he didn't complain to the police and they ain't done nothing, he's complaining to the city, they ain't done nothing. There's really not a whole lot you can do after that. Now, he eventually figured out who these people were. This is when he found out that they were the neighborhood, the neighborhood wanderers. And now he says one of the things that they do is they argue. He said they come there and they fuss and holler. And he says he hears knocking and bumping. He said it's been physical. It's loud, banging on doors, knocking things around inside inside of the house. He's been awakened in the middle of the night by these people. He's had to open up his window and yell at them. He's talked to them personally. He says when he talks to the guy, the guy says, well, that's her. She always starting stuff and this, that and other. And he said, well, whatever the case is, you guys are just making too much noise. Keep it down. It's bad enough you're squatting in an abandoned house, but then you're going to make noise on top of it and keep me up at night. And he's called the police. Other people have called the police. The police to come by there. They'll look around. They don't see anything. They'll ride off. Or they'll come by there, they'll talk to the woman, she don't want to press charges, they'll turn around and write off. So again, there's really not a whole lot that he can do. Now, in addition to that, across the street from him on the corner, there is an abandoned lot, vacant lot. And now that's been taken over by, he calls them the neighborhood riffraff. Now he said he don't know who these people are or where they come from, but they found this vacant lot and they took it over and they're doing all kinds of illegal God knows what he says. They come, they come over there every day and they just hang out. They come from wherever they come from. He said, they don't know who these people are, but they come to this vacant lot and they hang out. They'll have the music blasting. He said, they come around about nine or 10 o'clock and pretty much stay the whole day. And they bring a lot of traffic onto a block that if it wasn't for them being there would be fairly quiet for the neighborhood that he stays in. And he's had to have it out with these people. If somebody parks 
by his house and had the music cranked up. He has to come out and say, could you cut the music down? You know, and he said he really hasn't had much issue with them respecting the space. He said a woman had gave him some grief one time, but for the most part, he really hasn't had any issue with people respecting his space. But the problem is they're not on his property, but they're still close enough to where this noise filters in through his home. He says sometimes he'll be sitting in his home, you know, in the evening watching TV, watching a game or something. And then you just hear a bass coming through the walls for hours on end. And they're not in front of his place. They're across, they're across the street in the vacant lot. So it's not like he can come out in front and say, hey, cut the noise down. And same thing with the abandoned house. He's written all the many talk to the police. And the police have even been by there. He said the police have been by there. Police talk to him. And they stand around and watch. But they don't do anything. They don't run these people off. They still stay there and make noise. Now, he had told us that he had recorded some of this noise through his cell phone. Because he didn't think that we would believe the type of stuff that he's dealing with. And I asked him if he could send us some of the audio of the noise that goes on. So we're going to play. So we're going to play a little bit of this audio of the noise that he hears while he's in his home. Now, this first clip. OK, this is the couple arguing. Yeah, the woman arguing, banging on the door. Now, he said this goes on at least two or three times a week for the past couple of years. Now, here's the audio of the neighborhood riffraff. He said this was going on at about one something in the morning. Now, he said those people started cropping up once the weather had started to break. And here's the thing. None of these people who are there making this noise, these squatters, people hanging in a vacant lot, none of these people contribute anything to the community. They're not paying taxes. They ain't paying no rental fees or nothing. So what they do is they come in these neighborhoods and they leech off the people who actually pay the cost to be there. Property owners, law abiding citizens, people who get up every day, bust their ass to go to work. They're paying their mortgages. They're paying their bills. You would think these are the type of people that the city of Chicago will want in the community. And my whole point of bringing this up is I think what happens, a lot of people who don't live in these communities, they see this stuff that goes on, this crime and stuff, and they just assume that the people who actually live there don't mind the stuff happening in their neighborhood. Oh, that's just what goes on in their neighborhoods. They don't mind it. They, that's how they live, this, that, and the other. Who is that Donald Trump that came to Chicago and said, I don't know how... And said only black people can live like this or whatever. So in other words, there's this kind of notion that these people who stay in these neighborhoods, oh, that's just that they, they don't mind it. They, that's how they live. The people who actually pay the cost to live there complain, but they can't get anything done. 
And if that was the Gold Coast or one of these areas where people had an abundance of money, it wouldn't go on. And I don't know who's out there listening, but you guys think about your own neighborhoods. Think about if you call the police at two o'clock in the morning and said there's a group of people hanging out. I don't know who they are, where they come from, making a bunch of noise, loud music, loud talking. Well, what's going to happen? The police are going to come out and run them off. Well, same scenario here with our friend. He's calling the police, but the police don't run them off. They just sit there and watch them. All right. That was from our initial opening rambling segment. A great deal of that original audio didn't make it. But I wanted to make sure I play that part because um, that seems to be a theme that has been going on in this city for a little while now. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when you look and see all of the violence and things that are going on in this city, I mean, there's a number of things contributing to it. And if you have people, and by the way, this is not the first time you're going to hear me talk about this. We're going to be talking about this exact same thing a little bit later on in the podcast, but under different circumstances. So this is why I'm saying this seems to be a theme that is running in this city. And the problem is if you have people in the community who are trying to let the city know what the hell is going on in their communities and the city is doing nothing about it, it's a breeding ground for trouble. And if the city is interested in getting crime under control, I would think that you would have to take some preventative measures, you know, get on top of things before they get out of hand. You know, and I wonder in a lot of these cases, you have these types of things going on and people in the community are complaining and the city doesn't do anything about it for whatever reason. I wonder how much of that falls under negligence on the part of the city. Just something I'm wondering. I mean, I don't have a law degree, but again, it seems to me if you take preventative measures, then yeah, you can kind of stop some of these things, particularly if you're talking about all the news here as of late has been violence and guns and X amount of people being shot in a day. Well, if you want to, if you want to stop some of that stuff, clean up some of these areas, you know, I mean, what the hell are people paying taxes for? I'm going to do like the people do when they start the live videos. You ever see these people, they go live before they start, you know, they cut the camera on and they got everything hooked up, you know, but they go live and they don't talk right away. So you sitting there waiting, you know, they're doing all kinds of different stuff. They might be pouring a drink or talking to somebody in the background or, and you just sitting there waiting, you know? So I'm going to do like those people.
Oh my goodness. If you've listened to this podcast any length of time, well, you know a couple of things. One, you know that this is something that we talk about routinely, or I talk about gun violence, violent crime. And if you're a frequent listener, you also know that every so often I bring up this talking point. When you're talking about getting um, stricter gun laws or things of that nature, one of the talking points that you tend to hear from politicians is they always like to use this city as an example. Well, tougher gun laws don't really work. Look at what's going on in Chicago. They have some of the toughest gun laws in the country and they still have out of control gun violence. Now, that's the talking point that I typically hear after these mass shootings. And I typically hear it on the Republican side. I can't say that I've I remember hearing it from any Democratic politicians. Maybe so, but I again, I'm not 100% sure. But the last person I definitely remember hearing saying that was Sarah Sanders, the former press secretary for the Trump administration. Now, we're going to play this clip. Has this particular massacre made the president think anything more about pursuing tighter gun laws, such as background checks, to prevent massacres like this from happening again? Look, this is uh, an unspeakable tragedy. Uh, Today is a day for consoling the survivors uh, and mourning those we lost. Our thoughts and prayers are certainly with all of those individuals. Um, This is there's a time and place for a political debate. uh, But now is the time to unite as a country. There's currently an open and ongoing law enforcement investigation. A motive is yet to be determined, and it would be uh, premature for us to discuss policy when we don't fully know uh, all the facts or what took place uh, last night. I think that there will be certainly time for that policy discussion to take place, uh, but that's not the place that we're in at this moment. But certainly I think that there's a a time for that to take place to happen. One of the things uh, that we don't want to do is uh, try to create laws that won't create or stop these types of things from happening. I think if you look uh, to Chicago, where you had over 4,000 victims of gun-related crimes last year, they have the strictest gun laws in the country. That certainly hasn't helped there. So I think we have to, when that time comes for those conversations to take place, then I think we need to look at things that may actually uh, have that real impact. Matthew. Now that was after that Las Vegas mass shooting that happened uh, where this guy was in the Mandalay What was it? The Mandalay Bay Hotel, I believe. The problem here is that people are bringing guns from places that have that have less strict gun laws. Indiana, for example, you can go across the border to Indiana, go to a gun shop and buy guns with little to no questions asked. And then you can bring them back here to Chicago and do as you damn well, please. Uh, There is an article in the Chicago Sun-Times The city of Chicago is suing an Indiana gun store, accusing it of putting hundreds, if not thousands, of illegal firearms on city streets. Now, the name of the store is a place called West Fort Sports in Gary, Indiana. It says they're knowingly selling these products to an ever-changing roster of gun traffickers and straw purchasers. Those buyers then take weapons to Chicago, where they are resold to individuals who cannot legally possess firearms including convicted felons and drug traffickers. In a lawsuit, the city attorneys list several examples, including one man who bought 19 guns at West Forth over seven months and another who bought five guns at once. Studies cited in the suit, West Forth Sports is directly linked to more than 850 guns recovered from crime scenes between 2009 
and 2016. The ATF has cited the store for, among other things, transferring firearms to straw purchasers after a failed background check and failing to conduct background checks in the first place. So you got this place, uh, West Forth, according to this article, they're just selling guns to basically anybody who's coming in with the money to buy them. No questions asked. And then these people take those guns and they bring them back here and sell them illegally. And no telling whose hands those guns wind up in. And no telling how many people, innocent people, have been murdered by these guns that were bought from this particular gun shop. Now, they have a quote here from the mayor who normally won't comment on pending litigations, made an exception this time in part because the data is fairly compelling against this particular store. They're selling thousands of crime guns every year. CPD takes more crime guns off the street every year than New York and L.A. combined, Mayor added. It's not because we have a better strategy or more focus. We're surrounded by states and other cities that have much more lax gun control environment, she said. And it says, besides seeking unspecified monetary damages, the city, among other demands, also wants this West Fort to be supervised for about five years by a court-appointed monitor, which, um, good luck with that. And by the way, here's something I didn't know. This is not the first time that the city of Chicago has had to sue an independent gun shop. It says in 1998, the city sued a group of suburban gun dealers after 10 undercover CPD officers bought 171 guns in 62 days using only three Floyd cards between them. So listen, Sarah Sanders and these people can talk about strict gun laws. Chicago has strict gun laws and they still have out of control gun violence all they want to. But if you're surrounded by states and suburban communities that have lax gun laws, coupled with people who are so morally debased till if they can make a few bucks selling these illegal guns on the street, knowing with all the stuff going on in this uh, city in terms of gun violence, not only in this city, in a lot of cities across the country, but Chicago, obviously, we're off the charts with it, no doubt about it. But these people don't care. They still go out get guns and sell them to people who have no business having guns in their hands. And on top of that, you have a city that drops the ball in terms of keeping a lot of these people who have no business being back on the streets. Some of these repeat gun offenders, they're putting them on electronic monitoring and giving them light bail and all this kind of stuff. All those things contribute to what is going on here in terms of violent crime. I was driving it's around about 1.30, maybe closer to 2 o'clock in the morning. I was 
heading southbound on Michigan Avenue. I'm a night person, so there's nothing for me to be up or out at those hours of the night. I mean, I've always been like that. Even ever since I've been um ever since I've been a kid, I've always been a night person. Well, I'm heading southbound on Michigan Avenue. I'm sitting at the light over there by Mercy Hospital. I was telling Silent the story right before I cut the mic on and I said I was over there by Michael Reese Hospital and he kind of gave me this look like <laughs> Michael Reese. I don't know what made me say Michael Reese. Michael Reese has been closed for years, but it was Mercy Hospital, not Michael Reese. But I'm sitting at the light on Michigan Avenue and I see in my rearview mirror this car in the next lane coming towards me. And this guy is flying. The light turns green. I start taking off and I drive a few feet. And sure enough, here's this guy zooming past in a black Dodge Charger. Now, you know, those cars are pretty fast. Whoever was driving this car was taking full advantage of the speed of that Charger because he was gunning it. And I'm not exaggerating. He had to be doing about 80 or 90 down the street. I mean, it's 1.30 in the morning, so the street is wide open. And uh, this guy took full advantage, flying in a Dodge Charger. And I can see off in the distance where he's heading towards an intersection that has a red light. But a guy that's driving 80 or 90 miles per hour down the residential street, red light don't mean nothing to that person. Red light, what red light? Because he ain't hardly stopping. So he zooms past and he's gone, you know. Now, I don't know if this guy just committed a crime or if he was inebriated or just a plain idiot behind the wheel of a car. But, you know, one of the things that Silent and I were talking about, we have been noticing an increase of accidents in the city and not just simple fender benders. We're talking like serious accidents. Again, this was late at night. I was driving down State Street on the south side, heading towards 63rd. And I can see off in the distance where there are some blue lights flashing. Now, in this city, that's not uncommon. You, you can be driving anywhere at any given time and see that. But so I didn't think much of it. But I get to the corner and I see that there is an SUV that was flipped over upside down. And I'm looking at that. and I'm like, man, what the hell was going on with this guy? You know, I mean, how did, how the hell does that happen? So there's an increase in accidents. But one of the reasons for that is because there is an increase of people who are driving at excessive rates of speed up and down residential streets in this city. Much like you heard me talking about this guy in his Dodge Charger who was doing about 80 or 90. Now, I don't know what the hell the big hurry is with a lot of these people, but they are. And I'm not talking about a few miles over the speed limit. I'm talking about maybe I'm talking about 15, 20 miles over the speed limit because I'm a guy when I drive, I don't drive slow. You know how you get behind some people and they drive so slow till you have to tap on your brakes every every so often because you don't want to run into the back of them. And I'm not talking about people to tailgate. I'm talking about there's enough distance between the car in front of you and the car is driving, moving so slow till you can almost ride on on the idle and <laughs> you still have to tap your brakes. So you have some of those people that drive really slow, but I'm not a person that drives slow, man. I mean, I, I, I tend to, a lot of times I find myself probably maybe five, 10 miles over the speed limit, but it's typically when there's not a lot of traffic and there are not a lot of people out. So I'm a bit guilty of it myself. But my point is, even at that rate of speed, there will still be people that will be riding on my bumper or I'm not going fast enough. And they zoom past 
probably hitting speeds close to 50 miles an hour. Now, I don't know if these people don't believe they're going to have an accident or they're not worried about getting a ticket. I mean, I don't really know, but they are. They're driving at excessive rates of speed. So if you have a city full of people who are driving at high rates of speed, then the flip side of that is, yeah, you're probably going to have an uptick in accidents. And the people who are speeding, and I'm going to tell you something, man, when I see people speeding, it spans gender, it spans age, it spans race, older women in the car flying down the street. Because, you know, typically back in the day, well, at least when I was coming up anyway, but, you know, things have changed so much since then. But typically, a lot of times when you see people flying down the street, it's usually guys and younger guys on top of it flying down the streets in their cars. And of course, there are going to be some exceptional people. But for the most part, it was always kind of younger guys flying up and down the street, at least in this city anyway. But you typically didn't see older women, not in 2021. Older women flying up and down the street, running stop signs and all kinds of stuff, you know, because now we live in a time where pretty much everybody doing whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it, you know, so rules really don't mean nothing to folks nowadays, but everybody's flying everywhere. I got to tell you, if you listen, if you're looking or we're thinking of starting a career in the auto body repair business, then this is the time to do it. These people are flying up and down the streets. They're having a lot of accidents and they're tearing up their cars. And I'm trying to figure out how are these people buying these cars and tearing them up the way they are. Just buying cars and tearing them up. So there must be a lot of people out here rolling in dough. Because what happens is if you don't want to tear your car, boy, you're going to drive responsibly. You know, and again, like I said, even with myself, yeah, I might drive a little bit over the speed limit, but um, it's nothing to the point where it's excessive or it's putting my life in danger or the lives of others in danger. I came across a couple of stories as a result of all this speeding. Now, this is in the Chicago Tribune. It has some statistics. It says that um, it says about 1,166 people died in motor vehicle crashes in Illinois in 2020 and nearly 16% increase over 2019 statistics. According to the Illinois Department of Transportation, making 2020 the deadliest year for Illinois drivers in 13 years. A surge, officials say, may have been fed by drivers speeding on the roads left open by motorists who stayed at home because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But the thing about that is it's still carrying over into 2021. And we were looking up these stats. I mean, all of them seem to point to an increase of accidents in 2020 and in 2021 so far. And in looking through some of these stories, Three people were injured in a Chicago crash. One died on Lakeshore Drive. East Garfield Park crash leaves woman dead. Southside car crash leaves one dead, one injured. Two killed in wrong way crash on I-94 near 63rd. Motorcyclist suffers life-threatening injuries in a chain reaction crash on I-88. I mean, this stuff just goes on and on and on. Now I want to play this um, news clip real quick. Charges have been filed now in a hit and run that claimed the life of a one-year-old girl on the near west side. Prosecutors say the suspect was on parole for a deadly DUI at the time of the crash. WDN's Rob Snead joins us live from police headquarters where the toddler's family spoke out. Rob? Yeah, that case stemming from a 2012 DUI incident that resulted in a death. Now, Jemiah Harris's family, as you mentioned, they were out here earlier today. Many of them still very much upset uh, about what happened. They said that they will always remember that little girl's smile, and they're just sad that she's gone. They also say that they hope that uh, the suspect, Davis, that he never gets out of jail. She should still be here. 
I was there when she was born, where she almost didn't make it, but she was here. And for him to do that, to take her away from us, that's a hard pill to swallow. Jemiah Harris's grandmother's heart is broken. She will never see her granddaughter again. This man, Damian Davis, is accused of killing her. Davis was charged with felony reckless homicide, driving on a revoked license, speeding, and was issued three citations. Authorities say he was driving a black Chrysler and was speeding on May 27th. Police say he rear-ended a black Toyota on the 300 block of Southwestern Avenue. According to prosecutors, he was driving at speeds over 90 miles per hour when he hit that Toyota. Jemiah was inside of the car. Cruz took her to the hospital where she was pronounced dead. Now, this is not Davis's first time killing someone behind the wheel. According to court records, he was on parole at the time of the crash for an aggravated DUI death from an incident back in 2012 where he hit a vehicle, killing the passenger. He got nine years on that case. And Davis's bond is set at $500,000. Live at CPD headquarters, Rob Sneed, WGN News. Those are the things that happen when people are driving recklessly. Now, here you have a guy who at speeds up to 90 miles an hour down a residential street. Now, why the hell would anybody be driving that fast down a residential street? And see, the problem with a lot of this stuff is that when people drive like that, I mean, if you want to put your own life in jeopardy, that's your business. But you're also putting the public's life in jeopardy as a result of all this reckless driving. And by the way, you heard the clip back in 2012, this guy was already arrested and did time for killing someone in the past driving recklessly and apparently didn't learn anything from it because he got out of jail, got back in the car and did the same thing again. No remorse, no nothing. Get in the car, kill somebody, do time in jail, get back out, get in the car, do the same thing again. This time the result is you killed the one-year-old girl. And what I'm curious about is who gave this guy the keys to a car. Now, I didn't hear anything in that report about that car being stolen. So somebody had to give him keys because I heard something in the report about he had a revoked license. Now, if you got a revoked license, that's different from being suspended. Suspended, you might have maybe you didn't pay some traffic tickets or something. But if your license is revoked, that means you have no business driving behind the wheel of any car. So I don't know who the hell gave this guy the keys. I don't know if he got this car from a dealer or if it was a family member that let, loaned him the car. But but whoever gave this guy those keys should be just as culpable because this guy had no business behind the wheel of the car to begin with, with a revoked license. So people, you got to be careful who you're giving your keys to, because if you give them to an idiot, then this is the result. But my point in bringing all of this up is, listen, it's the summertime. People are going to be out and about. There are going to be tons of people out in the streets, on bikes, traveling from point A to point B, taking vacations, taking road trips. So using some degree of caution when you're driving behind the wheel of the car, just something to think about. Who the hell wants to be in a car and have this type of thing happen? So it's just something for people to think about.
Well, the summertime is here. People are out. Cities have opened back up. A lot of cities have opened back up. I don't know if there are, where people are listening out there. I don't know if your city still has COVID-19 restrictions. Here in Chicago, the city opened up in June. No restrictions, nowhere on nothing. Restaurants are open. Bars are opening back up. Museums, recreational parks, all these things have been have been given the green light to operate at full capacity. And what I'm wondering about, I know that there are a couple of um, spots that I noticed that they were open 24 hours pre-pandemic that are still not operating on those hours. And I'm wondering now that the restrictions have been lifted, when will these businesses go back to being 24 hours if they ever wind up going back to 20, being 24 hours? I mean, I don't know. A couple of places in particular, I noticed the uh, 24-hour Starbucks that you've heard me talk about on this podcast before in Old Town on North Avenue and Wells. They ain't been 24 hours since March last year. I rode past an IHOP and they were closed. I mean, IHOP has been known to be open 24 hours, seven days a week, particular one in that past wasn't open. So I don't know if this is like all of them that are like that or if it's just this particular one. And they got a sign on there saying open 24 hours. Well, it's like, well, how are you open 24 hours? And I'm looking, it's 12 midnight and ain't nobody in there, you know. Obviously, a lot of these restaurants took big hits financially. So maybe right now it's just it's not financially feasible for them to open up 24 hours. But I don't know. One thing's for certain, the nightclubs, the night spots are open late and they're bustling. You also have an increase in travel. A lot of people are hopping back on planes and trains and whatever. The problem now, though, seems to be that people, for some reason, uh, they just don't know how to act. Here's a story here. It says air travel can be difficult in the best of times with cramped planes, screaming babies, flight delays, and short tempers. Throwing a pandemic and anxiety levels can rise quickly. That has led to confrontations with flight attendants and other unruly behavior, including occasional fights that get captured and replayed endlessly on social media. Now, check this out here. It says airlines have reported about 3000 cases of disrupted passengers since January 1st, according to a spokesman for the Federal Aviation Administration. Wow, that's a staggering number. Of, so in other words, you got 3000 people out there that are running around heading on these planes and are causing problems since January 1st. And by the way, the majority of those people are these anti-maskers. 2,300 of those incidents involved with passengers who refuse to obey the federal requirements to wear a face mask. But as I frequently say on this podcast, idiots and assholes come a dime a dozen. They're out here and they're looking to cause problems and they don't need much of a reason. And this face mask thing we've seen since it's been implemented has brought out the idiot and asshole in a lot of people in this country. But it is what it is. Over the past decade, the FAA investigated about 140 cases a year for possible enforcement actions such as fines. This year, it was up nearly 400 by late May. So there's an increase of people getting fined for clowning on airlines. Things have gotten so bad that the airlines and unions for flight attendants and pilots sent a letter to the U.S. Justice Department on Monday urging that more be done to deter egregious behavior. The letter went on to say that the federal government should send a strong and consistent message through criminal enforcement and compliance with federal law 
and upholding aviation safety are of paramount importance. They want things like, uh, like for example, here it says one of the things they want, 20-year imprisonment for passengers who intimidate or interfere with crew members. So they want to up the ante on consequences for bad behavior. By the way, this is not something that's exclusive to just the airlines. Now, I'm not a person, I haven't been on a plane probably since 1986. So I'm not a person that flies nowhere. I don't, I'm not a frequent flyer. I don't have to fly here to there. Typically when I travel, I've taken buses and trains or just automobiles. And I'm not anti-plane or anything like that. It's just that I've never really had a reason to hop on a plane so far. But I tell you, if I did want, if I thought about it, this would kind of discourage me a little bit. But I'm saying that to say that I don't know a lot about what goes on on these planes. Maybe I don't know who's out there listening, but if you're a person that flies frequently, maybe you've come across some of these assholes. But my point is that this isn't something that's exclusive to just the airlines. This kind of stuff is going on pretty much all over the country. You know, I talk on this podcast about being an avid NBA watcher. And, and there were a few stories coming out of the NBA playoffs once they started letting people back in the arenas of throwing things at players and throwing things on the court and this type of thing. You know, and this is stuff that people used to go places and act civil. But now for some reason, and I don't know what's behind it. I really don't. There's an increase of this type of behavior amongst people. And what's going to wind up having to happen, man, I mean, yeah, this letter here said 20 years imprisonment for unruly passengers. To some people, that might sound extreme, but you have to move with the times. If you have people who are getting on planes and they're assaulting flight attendants or, or fighting with passengers, I mean, you just can't have that kind of stuff going on because you're putting too much of the public's safety at risk. So if you have an increase of this type of behavior, then you're going to have to have stricter, you're going to have to have an increase in deterrence and they're going to have to be strict. Now, once society gets to a place where these people calm down and after enough people get arrested and they have to go through the headaches of putting their families through grief because they're locked up for getting into a altercation over some over some bullshit on a flight, then, yeah, maybe that will deter people from doing those same things in the future. All right, if you've listened to this podcast any length of time, you know that one of the things that we tend to talk about is anger. Anger, anger can make you all anger. Yes, it can. I say anger will make you sit your anger, destroy your soul. I don't remember exactly when we started recording this particular segment, 
I, I want to say it was probably around about maybe 2015, 2016. What I had noticed was when we were looking for stories to talk about on this podcast, there seemed to be a number of news articles about people having bouts of road rage and fits of anger and just random places, you know, one story in particular, Silent, I don't know if you remember the story or not. Uh, there was a party going on in Lakeview. That's up there on the north side of uh, Chicago. And some guy was trying to crash the party. Now, this guy wasn't invited. I don't know how he knew these people, but he wound up showing up at this party and he wound up sneaking his way in. It was just a regular old house party. Started harassing the women that were at the party and getting really aggressive with them. He was basically asked to leave. They put him out. An hour or two later, he wound up coming back, got back in the party, did the same thing again, started harassing these people, and they wound up throwing his ass up out of there again. Well, this time he wasn't having it. So he went back, got a gun, came back, and started shooting at folks, all because they weren't letting him in this party, you know, <laughs> which is probably why he wasn't invited in the first place, because they knew the guy was uh, an idiot. And then there was an article somewhere around that time where two guys were racing down LaSalle Street. Uh, downtown Chicago and they didn't know each other. They were just kind of driving side by side and it wound up turning into somewhat of a racing match. And before you know it, one of the guys got mad and just decided, you know what? I had enough of you pulled out a gun. A guy driving a black SUV pulled out a gun and started shooting at the other guy all because they were just acting silly. Anger got the best of somebody. And before you know it, shots are fire. So that's kind of how this segment came about. Cause that was something that I had been noticing more stories like that. Stories of people getting angry. It escalates into a fight. And nowadays in 2021, shootings are part of that. And something else that I've been seeing an increase of cars. People are using their cars as weapons. They get mad with somebody, get in the car, hit the gas and use their car as a weapon to plow down the person that they are having an altercation with. Uh, this story, I don't know how many people saw this. This story came out of Houston. I don't know if we have anybody out there listening in Houston, but shout out to you guys. Shout out to the whole Texas area, Dallas, Houston, Austin. I mean, I don't know so San Antonio, and I think that's about all I know right off the top of my head. But shout out to all you guys. But apparently this story, uh, this was on Memorial Day weekend, May 29th. A uh, young woman whose name, by the way, is Houston, 22-year-old. It looks like Alaya, A-L-L-A-Y-E-J-A. That's how you spell it. You can figure out how to pronounce it. And her last name is Houston. So this is a person named Houston, and this incident happened in Houston. I mean, go figure. She was out on May 29th, night out in town, and some kind of way, man, she was involved in an argument. Uh, it was Houston and three of her friends. And they were arguing with three other women. And apparently the argument escalated to the point where the three women that Houston got into an altercation with, this woman got so frustrated, whoever was driving this car. And I don't know if the three women, that, it was three women in the cars. I don't know if all of them said, run the bitch over or what. They all got in the car and whoever was driving behind the wheel aimed this car at Houston and, and ran her over right there in the parking lot. And surprisingly, man, if you see this video, surprisingly, this 22-year-old Houston is still alive. And she didn't look like she suffered a whole lot of, um, like her face wasn't all scraped up or whatever. So 
she's really lucky, man, to be um alive. And I don't know at the time I'm recording this podcast, I don't know if they found this woman who ran her over or what. So that's what happened out there in Houston. Now, this next story happened right here in my own backyard here in Chicago. And I'm going to be honest with you, at the time I'm recording this podcast, there's really not a whole lot of details about what the hell went on here. This happened over on 35th and Vincennes on a Sunday afternoon in Ellis Park, around about 1 p.m., Police were called after a man drove a truck onto a field and tried to run over people and then check out what he did afterwards. It said witnesses said the man got out of the truck and knelt to pray. He then jumped on a bicycle and rolled off. So I don't know what the hell was going on in this guy's head. I don't see any stories saying that they caught this guy. They have a picture of his truck. It's a pickup truck. And according to this article, nobody got hit. I guess they all got out of the way. They saw this guy coming and said, uh, to hell with that and broke ass and got out of the way. And you can't blame them. And thank God they did. Hopefully they'll find this guy. You don't need individuals like this walking around on the street because no telling what else he's got planned for innocent people, you know. Now, this next story, uh, this happened out in Atlanta. Road rage stories are coming a dime a dozen, man. I mean, there are tons of road rage stories across the country in 2021 said the shooting happened on I-285 East near the Riverdale Road exit on Tuesday night. 911 dispatchers received a call reporting a wrecked vehicle on the highway. When officers arrived, they found two men inside of the BMW sedan suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. The driver died at the scene and the passenger was rushed to Grady Memorial Hospital where he later died that night. Police said the initial evidence points to road rage as a possible motive because of the location of the bullets on the passenger side of the pickup truck. This article also goes on to say this is the latest in a series of road rage shootings in Metro Atlanta. Now, back here in Chicago, this incident happened on Lakeshore Drive. Uh, This happened back in April. Another road rage incident. And this all stemmed from a dispute over one car not letting the other car into a lane of traffic at about 11 a.m. on a Tuesday on northbound Lakeshore Drive just south of Soldier Field. And because of that, well, apparently the driver couldn't handle the fact that they wouldn't let him over and he wound up pulling out a gun and shooting at the car, injuring a 21-month-old boy who was shot in the head from um, this jackass that wound up pulling the trigger. A guy by the name of DeAndre Bennon, Bynon, B-I-N-I-O-N, that's how you spell it. You can figure out how to pronounce it. 25-year-old said he was charged with three felony counts of first-degree attempted murder, as well as one felony count of aggravated battery and discharge of a firearm. And again, this all happened over a road rage incident because somebody wouldn't let you over. And as a result, you're getting babies and kids hurt and killed. Similar thing happened in Washington, D.C. This story made national news. A guy driving a Maserati. Now, this happened back in May. Kenneth Miles Davis, 42 years old, of Maryland is wanted for the caught on video shooting on May 19th in Northwest Washington that shows the gunman stepping out of a silver Maserati and opening fire on a vehicle that he believed had cut him off. Police said the unidentified victim was struck in the shoulder while her five-year-old child was cut by broken glass and her 11-year-old was left traumatized. And they have a quote here from the police chief who says, 
this individual felt it necessary to use gun violence to deal with his anger. You know, and it's interesting. I read these stories and I keep hearing about how woke society has become. This is a woke society. But I got to be honest with you, man. I don't see it. I don't see it because if this society was as woke as it's claiming to be, people should be able to rise above these types of petty uh, shooting at people because they cut you off on the expressway or they wouldn't let you merge. So I'm going to pull out a gun and shoot at you and, and your babies and whomever. Uh, I mean, it seems to me a, a society full of woke people. This stuff shouldn't be happening. Well, 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 it is that time of the podcast where, where we crack open Craigslist. Now, I don't know how many people out there are still familiar with Craigslist because when was the last time, and I can't sign and I'm going to be honest with you, I can't remember the last time I heard somebody talk about they went on Craigslist. But every now and then, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I like to crack open the Craigslist website and read various odd or bizarre posts kind of like our odd story segment but these are odd craigslist posts i don't know which one did we started doing first was it odd stories or was it craigslist silent yeah i think it was craigslist too i think it was our 20th podcast we started that wasn't it but that's back when craigslist was popping and you always hear me talk about this there wasn't as much um spam posts on craigslist as there are now which these spam posts man i'm gonna tell you something these spam posts are everywhere you know, it's funny. I, I look at um some of these Instagram posts and things and I see these people talking about um, if you're reading this, you can make twenty five hundred dollars a week or uh, you have so many sex bots talking about they got big booties and all this kind of mess. And I'm thinking, who the hell are these people and why are they posting these kind of random strange comments? Like you'll be reading a, a Instagram post or um. I don't too much see it on YouTube. I'm sure it's out there, but most times I see it on Instagram. Uh, Instagram posts of uh, a lot of times I check out the basketball stuff and they're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks winning the championship and you have somebody on there talking about they got big booties. Same thing with Craigslist. I mean, they're dealing with the same thing, these spam bots. But I'm going to tell you something, man. At some point, and people might not believe this, but I believe at some point the internet is going to have to be regulated. At some point, but that's a can of worms to open up for another time. Now, I came across this post here. Anyone recognize this guy post north of loop and they have a picture of a guy, you know, think about Craigslist. Who knows if this person is real or not? But it says for nearly a year, I have been harassed. And I'm going to read these things exactly how they're posted, by the way. For nearly a year, I have been harassed by this individual who claims to be essentially on the brink of homelessness. 
if not in actual homelessness yet, somehow manages to go to bars and even attend local festivals. He's constantly posting racist and or Alex Jones type material and has even managed to guilt $1,300 out of me. Well, I mean, who's the real idiot? That's me saying that. That's not in the post. But going on, it says, because of him, I had been in the red several times in my bank account. If there's anyone out there who knows about this individual, please reach out. For the record, he last spoke of being in one of the back hallways of Trump Tower, north of the Loop. And they got a picture of this guy. I mean, I I, I wouldn't know who this guy is. A uh, guy with long hair and a long beard. Look like a younger version of uh, ZZ Top. Rest in peace. One of those uh, members just passed on recently, too. So, so there you have it. Uh, here's a guy here that posted, Park car hit and run. And this happened back on July 7, 21, 2021. I witnessed a white Subaru Outback struck by a presumably drunk driver early in the morning of 721, night of the Bucks winning game, game six, and drive away. If you are the owner or know the owner, please have them contact me as I have the plate number for the guilty party. Oh, so if you drive a white Subaru Outback, they got your plate number. I tell you, man, these hit and run drivers are the worst. You know, I, I talked uh, earlier in the podcast about some of these accidents and things. I have the Citizens app on my phone, but they tell you about all kinds of police activity or things that are happening in your area. Well, one of the things that I noticed, just like you heard me talk about in that segment, a lot of car collisions. And you'd be surprised the number of SUVs that seem to be flipping over in this city. My point in bringing it up is some of these people cause these accidents and they run off. So they'll drive reckless, crash into your car, and instead of standing there and taking accountability, what do they do? They get out of the car and they run off. Instead of standing there and owning up to it, they're cowards and they run off. And I'm going to tell you something. People who hit and run, there should be there should be a steep penalty for that. I mean, why should I have to pay for your bad decisions, you know? But these people don't care. Just like the person in this white Subaru Outback. And that's if this guy who posted this is even telling the truth. Because uh, I would post the guy's license plate number. Maybe he's a scam artist trying to get a reward or something. Well, I'll give you the plate number if you give me a thousand bucks or whatever the case may be. Because why not just post the guy's plate? So he could be scamming too. You never know. Here's an odd post that says, found this peanut stem in in a bag of fish or nuts. They said it was a peanut stem coated with their honey nut mixture. It was very hard. And I can see you are writing jokes in your head now. It seems that the owner, John B., what is this? S-A-N-F-I-L-L-I-P-P-O. That's how you spell it. So John B., we'll call him John B. John B., company doesn't care enough to call me, found out from an independent agent, not of the company. It was one inch long. You would think something would have caught this. I have no idea what that post is about at all. I don't know who this John B. is. And why would he be expecting? It says, what did it say here? It says, um, it says here that John B company doesn't care enough to call me. And he found out from an independent agent. So who the hell is he talking about? I mean, does John B work at Fisher Nuts? I don't know. And why would they be calling him? Yeah, man, I don't know what that's about at all. Here's a person here uh, looking for, uh, says skate videos. 
I don't really skate, but I have an old YouTube channel with only a couple of videos with 200 plus subscribers and 180K plus views. It still gets traffic, but I want to start something different. I need a videographer and skaters. I want to start a brand. And that's all this post has. So here's a guy here. He's trying to, and I don't know what kind of brand he's trying to start, but I guess a brand of skate videos. I don't know. I guess people who are on roller skates is going to film them doing all kinds of stuff and posting it to YouTube. Well, good luck with that. Any videographers out there, I uh, hit this guy up on Craigslist and he didn't leave his name or number, but uh, I mean, I guess you just hit him up through Craigslist. I uh, hear somebody here looking for help. Can anyone help with eBay? Hi, all. I have an item. And in parentheses, he has art. I like to post on eBay, but it's kind of tricky for me. I'm Northside around Andersonville. Thanks. And that's all this guy's got. So he's looking for somebody to help him post uh, art on. Like, why can't he do that himself? I don't understand what the problem is there. All right, here's something here. It says, homophobic activities at Dearborn Tower, South Loop. Just wondering if anyone can assist me with identifying the suspects perpetrating terror activities in the hallways at night. Is everyone else too drugged out and drunk to care? Self-satisfied with their government handouts, or is it all a homophobic game? Too odd and wacko, or is it coming from the elevator shaft since everything went to hell when H left the building in 1019? Odd. They monitor pedestrians using the garage door, but can't solve this unless it's an inside job or a board member. I have no idea what the hell that means, but I don't stay in Dearborn Tower. So, so listen, if you stay in Dearborn Tower, maybe you know what the hell this post is about. Uh, homophobic activities at, at Dearborn Tower. And he's talking about people are drugged and too drunk to care and getting government handouts at Dearborn Tower. Where the hell is Dearborn Tower at, Silent? Did you find it on the, on Google? 1530 South State. I can't say that I read... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I do know this building. It's uh, right there by the viaduct. Yeah, I do know this building. I didn't know they called it Dearborn Tower. I can't tell if this is one of the newer buildings that have been built, but this image has it right next to that viaduct down there. Yeah, so I, I mean, I recognize this uh, this little bit of picture here, if this, is, if this is accurate. Well, let me rephrase it. I can't say that I recognize the building, but I do recognize the area, um, again, that viaduct, the raggedy viaduct. You know, people are talking about infrastructure. I mean, this this thing... It needs some serious infrastructure work. I don't know. And it's a condo. It says Dearborn Tower Condos on 1530 South State. So if you stay there at Dearborn Tower, watch out for these homophobic activities that go on in the hallways at night, according to this post. Now, I don't know if this guy is drunk or drugged out and he's just posting crap on. And by the way, and I'm going to tell people something. And I said this the last time we read Craigslist post. Chances are, if you're coming to Craigslist posting the stuff, probably not going to solve your issues.
I came across an article that is very extensive. And not only is this article extensive, but it's also an old article. This article was dated back in 2016, but I'm only going to skip through to the relevant parts. Now, this is in Chicago Magazine, and the title of this article is Can Jerrion Stevens Be Saved? He's a kid from the West Side, a former straight-A student. Last summer at 15, he was arrested for selling heroin. Now, what they're doing in this article is they're following this kid around that goes by the name of Jerrion Stevens. Now, it doesn't get into why or how they found this kid or why they decided to follow him around. He was 16 at the time this article was written. Stevens slides quietly onto a long wooden bench in a waiting area outside courtroom four at the juvenile courthouse on Hamilton Avenue. His mother isn't here today because she's driving his older brother to a college interview at Northern Illinois University. His father isn't here because, well, he hasn't been around much since Jerrion was little. On this particular day, he's accompanied by his only grandmother, Jackie Hodges, and a 17-year-old female cousin. Jackie recalls how her grandson learned to ride a bike at three and used to love playing chess. He was once conversant in both Spanish and sign language and received straight A's in elementary school. Jerrion is such a talented young man, she says, loud enough to be heard throughout the near-empty room. But he's missing something. I don't know what it is, but he keeps looking. He just can't seem to be satisfied. Stevens is in court today to face sentencing on two felony drug convictions. He explains they stem from when he was caught trying to sell heroin last summer. It was his first significant run-in with the law, but not the first one for his family. Jerrion's father, for one, according to court records, is a three-time felon and has been in and out of jail for much of his son's life. It's like history repeating itself, says Stevens' grandmother. So here's one thing I want to highlight in this article. You have a 16-year-old kid who's grown up without his father. His father's been in and out of jail for committing various crimes, and he really hasn't been in his kid's life. Like a lot of teenage boys, Jerrion is prone to obsess about his lack of cash, his desires for new sneakers, and his interest in girls and cars. And also, like a lot of teens, he regularly bucks against his mother and makes dumb decisions. But for Jerrion, the stakes are high. If he keeps hanging on the corner with his crew and goes back to selling dope, he could land in Cook County's Juvenile Temporary Detention Center or a state facility. If that happens, his chances of graduating from high school drop 39% compared with an average kid in his neighborhood. Now, this young man's mother is named Krishana. It says, Jackie and Krishana live in constant fear that Jerrion will follow the same path as other men in his family. Ask anyone who knows Jerrion and they'll tell you there are two sides to him. There is a short-fused teen seething with anger who is often unable to control his own emotions. Since grade school, his mother estimates he has been suspended 10 times for fighting. His disciplinary reports fill a manila folder that Krishana keeps. At a loss for what to do, she has taken him to Hartgrove Psychiatric Hospital. Once at the age of 12, after yet another fight, and the other time when he was 14, she found a bag of weed in the sock drawer. So here's a young man with anger issues, and the mother doesn't really know what to do with him. She's taking him to Hartgrove. She's taking him to be evaluated. I don't know what happened, but it's like something just sets him off. Then there's the other side of Jerrion, a soft-spoken, vulnerable kid who was fiercely loyal to his family and friends. He listens more than he talks, but that side of him is starting to slip away. 
Now, there's a portion in this article where this Jerion is taking a reporter around the neighborhood to show what goes on where he lives at. And this is the observation of the reporter. It says, St. Louis Avenue was cloaked in a haze of smoke. Men and boys dot the sidewalk, some leaning up against the fence, others standing beneath the bare branches of a particularly large tree. A few are selling a garden variety of drugs to anyone who will buy. It is not an unusual scene in the neighborhood where more than a third of residents live below the poverty line. Among the city's 77 community areas, Humboldt Park ranks 15th for violent crime. Over the past year alone, it has been a scene of 27 homicides. And keep in mind, I was back in 2016. Then they go over to Chicago Avenue, the main drug site of an ongoing turf war between several West Side gangs, including the T's, that's short for traveling vice lords, with whom Jerion claims to be affiliated, and the Royals, short for Simeon City Royals. And this article continues to go on. There's a number of things this kid is dealing with. The neighborhood he stays in is very violent, a lot of drugs selling, a lot of gang activity. His mother talks about how he was diagnosed with ADHD, which is not uncommon with a lot of these kids nowadays, particularly the ones that have anger issues and such. You know, then they dope him up on medication. Here's another part I want to highlight here. It says, his mother has a drawing she keeps under her bed, one Jerion created in kindergarten when a teacher asked the combative boy to illustrate what was upsetting him. On the right side, there are four figures, Jerion, his brother, his aunt, and his grandmother. On the left side, his father and his mother, who has something wrapped around her neck. Jerion's explanation transcribed by the teacher is written alongside. My daddy is choking my mama with a string and her feet tied. My grandma is sad because my daddy is choking my mama. So the teacher wound up calling and talking to the kid's mother. She went on to say that Jerion has witnessed an abusive scene at home for weeks now. All right, now here's something else you want to throw into the mix. A kid that has witnessed a lot of domestic violence when he was very young. Father's beating up on the mothers. And you might remember I talked about this very thing on a previous podcast. This domestic violence that goes on in the home and these kids are witnessing this stuff. I mean, it has an effect. His mother tells the reporter a story. She says, when he was like four, me and his daddy had a fight and Jerion was crying in his room. And she says, when she went to get him, he says, why don't you kill him? And she says, well, I can't because then I go to jail. And he was like, I'll do it. Babies can't go to jail. She said, when I woke him up the next morning, he was sleeping with his water gun. But it says she eventually left his father for good in 2005 he says now and then he'll pop up and take Jerry on shopping or drive him around the neighborhood. Then he'll quickly disappear again. So he's in and out of this kid's life. When Jerry on talks about his father, he grows quiet. And what he does say is more in sputters than sentences. He says, I don't want to talk about him anymore. I just stopped talking about him. I called him one day and he was like, and then there's a pause. Jerry on's voice cracks. He lowers his head as he tears up. He says, I don't want to talk about it. So now you see why the title of this article is Can Jerion Be Saved? There's a lot of stuff in this article. I mean, this reporter is following this kid around his neighborhood. Uh, they spent a lot of time with his family. And, and apparently, and they got photos from him back in February of 2016. So they've been following this kid around for about two or three months in order to put together this piece. Well, here we are now in 2021. This was in the Chicago Sun-Times. 
a 21-year-old man who was once featured in the Chicago Magazine profile when he was a teenager has been charged with murder for his alleged role in a deadly East Garfield Park shooting. Jerrion Stevens faces a count of first-degree murder for an apparent gang-related attack that claimed the life of a 20-year-old. On December 22nd, Stevens allegedly drove a stolen Honda to the 700 block of North Ridgeway, got out of the Honda and opened fire at Courtney Clark's and another man as they walked. Clark's was struck in the abdomen and later died at the hospital. The other man was able to escape and have a mugshot of Jerry on. He's, now he's much more tatted up than the photos of him back in 2016. Face tattoos, neck tattoos. Investigators used surveillance camera footage and cell phone records to track Stevens and two gunmen who have not been charged. Stevens was the subject of a lengthy 2016 profile story in Chicago Magazine that detailed his dreams and hardships he faced growing up on the West Side. He was working at a family business and for a moving company to support his young daughter before the arrest. He is expected back in court on July 8th. Well, so there you have it. But, you know, when you take a lot of these kids and, and by the way, this isn't something that's exclusive to him. A lot of teens in the city are going through similar circumstances. And you're talking about teenagers and young people. I mean, you got some grown folk out here that's 40 in their 40s and 50s that can't figure stuff out. You know, so most young people that come from those types of circumstances. Yeah, it's probably going to be difficult for them to keep themselves out of jail or, or keep themselves from getting murdered particularly when every day you wake up and you walk out your front door, all you're seeing is a bunch of death and negativity. But my whole point in bringing that article up is when a lot of people look at what goes on with a lot of these kids, you know, they're not just waking up and deciding to go out and murder people or get involved in negative activity. I mean, there's a pattern here that leads these people in that direction. And you heard a lot of it here in this article, domestic violence, no father around. Neighborhoods that are riddled with gang activity and drug selling. Kid dealing with anger issues. Now listen. Ultimately, and I'm going to use this old tired cliche, but if you do the crime, you have to do the time, right? You know, the victim's family don't give a damn about somebody's rough upbringing or somebody's rough circumstances. All they know is that you've taken out one of their loved ones. That's all they give a damn about. And they want justice. So you really can't make excuses. But here's the thing. All the talk in the news right now is about violent crime, violent crime, this violent crime, that guns, what have you. And I suspect that if this continues on into next year, it's going to be an election year. And all the talk from the politicians is going to be Democratic run cities, liberal policies, this is why crime is out of control, blah, 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 blah. Republicans and guns, gun control this, gun control that. But none of those people are going to talk about root causes. You know, and I hear others talk about mental health, but along with mental health, we need to be talking about the family structure in this country. Family structure is important. And until we start addressing root issues, this stuff is going to continue to go on. And it ain't going to get no better.
Well, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that Chicago has just had its Lollapalooza event. I don't know exactly the numbers or how many people showed up, but what's happening now is uh, in the midst of this pandemic that still seems to be hanging around with us, obviously has been an issue of concern. Some people are calling Lollapalooza a super spreader event or has the potential to be one. I believe that they were supposed to require people to show their vaccination cards in order to participate. But most of you pretty much know that thanks to all this technology we get out here, people can falsify things left and right. So you can sit in your living room or in your basement or wherever you may be and create a vaccination card and say, yeah, I've been vaccinated. Here you go. And let's be real. Most people who are working these events, they're not going to be like examining these vaccination cards with a magnifying glass. I mean, you're going to walk up. They're going to say, you know, let's see your vaccination card. You're going to flash and they're going to wave you on and say, go on in. Then let's be real about this. You have some people that you don't have a vaccination card. You handle some cash. They'll turn around and look the other way. You know, I mean, this is what goes on, you know. So I'm saying that to say that, yeah, vaccination cards might help. But there's going to be a percentage of people who have not been properly vaccinated if they've been vaccinated at all. And all it takes is a handful of people to spread the virus around. So what can we do in like shutting things down again is probably not going to happen, especially now that we have the vaccinations out here. And really, the issue is a lot of these people who should be getting vaccinated aren't for whatever reason. They're just not getting vaccinated. And this is kind of where the problem is coming in. Now, I've been vaccinated. Silence been vaccinated. We talked about it on our initial opening rambling segment, which it'll, it'll, it'll make a future or stuff that didn't make it segment at some point. But there are a lot of people out here that haven't been vaccinated. And as a result, what's going to wind up happening, and we're already starting to see glimpses of it, there are going to be places where you're going to go or jobs you're going to work at where they're going to require you to get vaccinated. Now, this was kind of the big hoopla when these vaccinations first came out about our companies and things going to require people to get vaccinated. And at the time, nobody really addressed it. But now that we have people that seem to not be getting vaccinated, well, what seems to be happening is places are going to require you to get vaccinated. Now you got to make the decision of do you want to get the shot or do you want to keep your job? Now, there would be a nice percentage of people that are going to go ahead that haven't been vaccinated and they're going to get it because they need to pay their bills. But there's also going to be a percentage of people who are going to say, you can't tell me what to do with my body, this, that, and the other. And they're going to say, you know what, to hell with it and leave. But that's what life is. It's all about personal choices. But I'm reading this article here. It says, New York became the nation's first big city to announce it will require proof of COVID-19 vaccinations at restaurants, shows, and gyms. Joining the growing list of state and local governments and large employers taking a hard line against both surging Delta variant and vaccine holdouts. Tyson Foods said that it will require all of its approximately 120,000 U.S. employees to get the shot over the next three months, becoming one of the first major employers of frontline workers to do so. And an estimated 150,000 unionized workers at the big three U.S. automakers will have to go back to wearing masks starting Wednesday. So these jobs are either requiring mask mandates or vaccination mandates. And then they have a quote from Mayor Bill de Blasio. It says, the goal here is to convince everyone that this is the time. If we're ever going to stop this Delta variant, the time is now. And this means getting vaccinated right now. Vaccination cards will be accepted as proof of inoculation, along with state and city apps. 
COVID-19 cases across the U.S. have increased sixfold over the past month at a level not seen since mid-February. Deaths have climbed over the past two weeks from an average of 254 per day to 386. Wow. Florida has seen more people now in the hospital with COVID-19 than at any other time during the outbreak. Louisiana reported an all-time high of more than 2,100 hospital patients with the virus, most of them unvaccinated. Both states' vaccination rates are below national average. And then they have a comment from a guy by the name of Justin Sr., CEO of Florida Safety Net Hospital Alliance. They're just coming in faster than we can discharge them. It's definitely not people in their 40s and 50s right now. So a lot of younger people. The crisis has become a race between the Delta variant and the vaccine. Experts say that the vaccine is still highly effective at preventing serious illness and death from the more contagious mutant version. And this article continues to go on. But my question is, like, what is the holdout of these people who are not getting vaccinated? And are you for a lot of these jobs and things making it mandatory that people get vaccinated? And I'm going to tell you something. This reminds me a lot of the mask mandates. You had a lot of people and you've heard me talk about them routinely on this podcast. People who just don't want to wear a face mask. Well, now you got the same thing this year going on with people that they just don't want to get vaccinated. Now, what I'm looking at is I'm looking at the data when it comes to a lot of these cases. Like last year with the mask wearing, I was hearing, well, the mask, you're breathing in your own carbon dioxide and or they're, they're suffocating you or this, that and the other. Whatever the case may be, all these uh, stories about why people don't want to wear a mask. Well, what I would typically do is I would look at data and see, well, how many people are dying from COVID versus how many people are dying from wearing a face mask? Well, if you're going to tell me at least 600 some odd thousand people have died from COVID-19 versus the mask, then I'm going to wear the mask. Same thing with the vaccination process. How many people are dying from the vaccines versus how many people are dying from COVID? If more people are dying from COVID, then I'm going to lean more towards getting vaccinated. That's the determining factor for me. Now, I don't know what data these anti-vaxxers and things are looking at that make them think otherwise, but whatever the case, whatever the reason, are you for these places making these vaccinations mandatory? And I'm going to tell you something, man, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I get the feeling that a lot of these places, it's going to get to the point where pretty much anywhere you go, you're going to have to get vaccinated. And everybody wants to get back to a sense of normalcy. Well, well, getting vaccinated is part of the process.
Before we get into our Chicago violence piece, I want to make a quick correction. You're going to hear me say one-year-old baby, but it's a one-month-old baby. So when you hear me say one-year-old, scratch that and add one month. All right, let's get to it. Well, here we go again. Back on July 1st, Silent DJ, his in-laws are planning on having barbecue on the 4th. So Silent and his wife went over, spent time with his in-laws. He helped them run errands. They were getting some food and running different errands, preparing for the 4th of July. So Silent is at his in-laws house. And a little bit after eight o'clock, he's sitting up with his father-in-law. They're watching the NBA playoffs. Atlanta Hawks, Milwaukee Bucks. They're watching the game. Next thing you know, they're hearing a lot of loud booms. Boom, 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 boom. Now, Silent told me that he heard the stuff and he just assumed that it was fireworks. But of course, you know how things go in this city. They could be fireworks. They could be gunshots. His father-in-law looks out the window. He sees a bunch of people running. Then he quickly realized, nope, those were not fireworks. They were gunshots. Now, the thing about this situation is the neighborhood that they stay in, much like you heard me talking about our friend at the top of the podcast, Silence in-laws are dealing with the same thing in their area where you had a group of people hanging out that don't live there. There was a liquor store that popped up in the neighborhood maybe about, what was it, about three years ago. Now, the residents in the neighborhood were trying to keep this liquor store from opening because they knew that it would bring a lot of traffic, unwanted traffic, into their neighborhood. And not to mention, if you're a property owner, you know that liquor stores can bring your property value down. And I always find it interesting that the people that want to set these stores up, well, they never want to set them up in their own communities for some reason. They put up these stores in someone else's community, bring their property taxes down, bring all this traffic and bullshit to someone else's neighborhood, they settle this poison, collect the profits, and then they go home. And I imagine if silence in-laws or if he or I got together and tried to set up a liquor store in their community, we couldn't do it. And again, the homeowners in the city have to deal with all this nonsense. Liquor stores being set up in their community, people running out to Indiana buying guns, bringing them back, selling them in their community. Then you got to cut the music on and you hear some guy that looks like you talking about shooting up those same communities. So there's just this influx of crap that people have to deal with that live in those communities. And all they want to do is live somewhere in peace, raise their families, pay their bills. But when it comes time to pay your property taxes, well, you better not be late. And it better be paid in full. And by the way, a quick sidebar about that. At one point, the mayor was talking about having a curfew on liquor stores here in the city. Now, I imagine she's going to face a lot of opposition from the owners. But I'm going to tell people something, man. If you live in these communities where these stores are being set up and you don't want them there... Uh, I would advise people get on the phone and make your voices heard and give some support on this. So they didn't want this liquor store there. They went down to a city council hearing about this thing. People in the neighborhood said, listen, we don't want the store here. And they gave a bunch of different reasons as to why. But much like things work in this city, typically if you're poor and if you're poor and black on top of it, you really don't have much of a voice. So basically, that was a well-fought battle that was lost. And here comes this liquor store opening up. And just like they thought, it's been bringing a lot of traffic. And what's been happening is because it's a liquor store, you have people that are selling. They hang around selling loose cigarettes. Then here comes 
the drug dealers, because typically what happens is if you're people are going to buy alcohol, they might want to buy some marijuana or whatever substance they want to indulge in. So you got the liquor store traffic, you got the loose cigarette people, and you got the druggies, the drug dealers, and the users. So all these people have been kind of hanging around. And what wound up happening in this area, and again, this is the same thing that our friend is dealing with, there has been an increase of traffic. And maybe that's the new trend in this city where people just kind of go to different neighborhoods and hang out, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Well, I shouldn't call it new. I mean, I've had people tell me they've had these problems before. Now, here's the thing about this area where silence in-laws stay. There's nothing on this block but seniors. He said he believes the youngest person on the block might be 57 years old. And there's only a handful of houses on the block. There's about six or seven homes on the block, and everybody's up in age. And they're all homeowners. So there would be no reason for anybody to be hanging around on that block or in that area. But what happened was there was an increase of people that had started hanging out. It started out really small. And then before you knew it, it turned into a mass amount of people gathering, which the week of the shooting, Silent was telling me that broad daylight guys standing around, grown men, by the way, grown men standing around gambling on the street. I mean, if you want to gamble, go home. Guessing these people have places to stay. I mean, if you want to gamble, there's nothing wrong with that, but go do it where you live at. But nope, these people can't do that. They got to stand and gamble, broad daylight, bunch of people hanging out, smoking weed. Silence said one day there was so much weed smoke coming in until his in-laws said they had to close the windows. And this, by the way, is the summertime, so you either suffocate from the weed or suffocate from the heat. Now, with same scenario with these people, they've been calling the police. Uh, there's been times they called the police, said there are people gambling in the street, broad daylight. People making a lot of noise, hanging out. They don't live in a neighborhood. Police never show up. They called and talked to the, all the person. This person eventually got back and told him, well, you need to talk to, um, well, you need to talk to the district commander of the police department and put in a complaint. So basically shifting the buck off to somebody else. Well, much like things happen in the city, same group of people that were standing out, somebody rolls up little bit after 8 o'clock p.m., and they just start firing. Sound like it had to be about 20-some gunshots. Now, when you got a bunch of people standing around and you're hearing 20-some gunshots go off, chances are somebody's going to get hit. Well, there were a few people that got shot. This was another one of these mass shootings that they keep talking about that go on here in the city. And there was a one-year-old baby that was shot as a result of all of this shooting and hanging out. And the thing about it is there was no need for this baby to get shot because none of these people who were hanging out in this area lived there. 7621 Adam is transporting a child to the hospital. 7621 Adam, where you go? Water, it's all the x-rays. It's all the same thing. All right, if you guys can clear a path to St. Bees, they're taking the baby to St. Bernard's. If you guys can clear the way to St. Bernard. Someone's also screaming there's someone shot in a Malibu. I'm going to prioritize the baby that's shot that's being transported by 7621 Adams. We can clear a route to St. Bernard. Clear a route to St. B's for the units. The baby in squad car, 7621 Adam transporting. 7637, boy, you got multiple people shot over here, at least three so far. Okay, three shot, where are you? And I've been to Silence In-Law's place before. When these people are not there 
I mean, the last time I was over there, it, it looked like Mayberry. It was so quiet. Because like I said, it's a small block full of seniors. You know, you're not going to have a bunch of 60 and 7 year olds standing on the corner, standing on the street in broad daylight, gambling, a bunch of loud music and hanging out and going on. No, these people are in their homes and they're minding their business. And by the way, on that same day earlier, there was a nine-year-old that got shot while sitting in the backseat of her parents' car. Straight bullet hits the back windshield and hits this nine-year-old girl that was sitting in the car. And a lot of these shootings are gang-related, but you also have a nice percentage of shootings that are not gang-related, but they're idiot-related. And when you put guns in the hands of idiots, then yeah, you're probably going to have a problem on your hands. Example of what I'm talking about. Now, this actually happened on the 4th. Guy here by the name of Calvin Goonigan. Now, this Calvin is a 34-year-old man. It says, allegedly, he shot and killed a 44-year-old woman by the name of Janiah Ford and wounded two men at a gathering on the 4th of July after being asked to stop firing a gun into the air while children played. Calvin, a convicted felon, was triggered by the request and threatened the group so he goes in an apartment building, he comes back out with a gun, and he shoots a 32-year-old man, and in the process of shooting this 32-year-old man, says he grazed a 50-year-old man. A witness with a concealed carrier permit fired back, striking Calvin in the hip and arm. Now, this is how this 45-year-old woman got caught up in the mix. Once this Calvin got shot, he wound up, he wound up going back into the apartment building. Then he came back out again, and he saw... He saw a 45-year-old Juanita Ford and others trying to help the 32-year-old man that Calvin just shot. So what he decides to do, and again, this is all alleged. Ain't nobody been to court and found guilty. As Ford and others tried to help the 32-year-old man, Calvin returned, allegedly killing her after a confrontation. So he had some words with this woman and decided, you know what, I'm going to shoot you too, and wound up killing her. Calvin is charged with first-degree murder, aggravated assault, discharge of a firearm, and two counts of attempted murder. And see, individuals like this, you don't need to let back out in the street. Now, he's a convicted felon, which he shouldn't have had a fire. And if he's a convicted felon, he had no business with a gun in his possession to begin with. Just like you heard me talking about earlier with this guy um, that was driving on a revoked license. There's a reason why you don't want to give these people... If they have a revoked license, you don't want to give them a car. If they're convicted felons, you don't want to give them weapons. You know, there's a reason for that. This guy should not be let out on electronic monitoring.
check a one, check a two, check a one. You know, this equipment that we're working on, it's not state of the art equipment. And by the way, I got the fan going up here because it's getting got pretty hot and they don't have the air on yet because it's not, you know how when the weather starts turning warm, you might be in the building and it takes them a little while to cut the air on. So that's one of these buildings. So if you hear like a fan or something or noise in the background, it's because we got the fan going, we got the window going and, but anyway, a lot of this equipment is not state of the art equipment, but it's not cheap equipment either. And the problem with this, and I'm not going to call the names of these uh, things that we're using up here because these people make enough money as it is. They don't need no help from us to promote their brands for free. I mean, they're doing just fine whether we say something or not. But a lot of these connections aren't stable for some reason or another. God forbid I tap a laptop accidentally or move something and a cord or something. And the next thing you know, you got a big problem on your hands because everything and cut out and because the connections just aren't stable. And I don't know why they make stuff like this. It's like if you're paying this kind of money, things should work like they're supposed to. So I had to be very careful that I don't bump something or knock something around or, you know, <laughs> so, but um, the last podcast, you might've heard me talk about the development that's going on here in this city. There are some areas in the city currently right now that development is going on almost in every corner, any empty space that they can stick up a high rise, they're doing it. One area that comes to mind where they're doing that and if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say this in the past, the near West side, they're doing so much developing over there until uh, if you used to live in the city and you haven't been here maybe in 20 or 30 years, and you're familiar with that area around about Hosted Street, Hosted and Lake, Randolph, where the old warehouse nightclub used to be, all you house heads remember the warehouse, which has since long been gone. But that area, uh, Washington, Jackson, Monroe, Anywhere from Hosted on up to probably Ashland and even beyond, probably up to almost about Western, if you're heading West, there's so much developing going on in those areas to allow um, If you haven't been here in 20 years and you came back just to visit or like for a trip or something, you know, everybody's traveling now, uh, you wanted to come back to Chicago just to visit, well, you wouldn't recognize where you were at. Tons of buildings being thrown up, expensive luxury buildings. And they're cramming a lot of people into these areas. And on the last podcast, one of the things that I said was that I don't know how healthy it is to be cramming so many people in these areas the way they are. You got people living on top of people. There's a lot of congestion in these areas. And granted, some of these buildings that they're building, the apartments are really nice. That's on the inside. When you go outside and you have to crawl over people and fight through traffic, especially now that the city is open back up crawl over people, fight through traffic, fight through congestion. And then, you know, you're dealing with people in different personalities. And here in this city, and I don't know what goes on in a lot of other major cities, although I don't think it's exclusive to Chicago, but the people here in Chicago tend to be a little bit aggressive, you know, so everybody's always fighting for their space, you know, and you really see it when you're driving. I mean, people here in this city are very aggressive. You get ran over, pushed around, if you don't, have, if you can't stand your ground, I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, I've heard people who come from out of town say that that's one thing that they've noticed about the people here. They're really aggressive. Now, years ago when they told me that I didn't recognize it because I was here and I just 
I didn't know. <laughs> but, you know, it takes somebody coming from somewhere else to tell you that. And then you realize, well, OK, yeah, maybe we are, you know. But when you're putting that type of thing, all these people together in these in these areas where you got these aggressive people and tons of people stand in these buildings. And I wonder how healthy it is mentally for people. I came across this article. Now, this thing was on a website called SciPost, P-S-Y Post. I saw this and I thought it was kind of an interesting survey. Psychopathic tendencies linked to reduce connectedness to nature and a preference for a city living. Now, what this thing is talking about, this was a survey that was done. This came out of the uh, United Kingdom. Now, I'm going to read you a little bit of what's in here. It says, People who feel less connected to nature tend to have heightened levels of psychopathic personality traits, according to new research published in the Journal of Environmental Psychology. The study also found that individuals who exhibit more dark personality traits prefer to reside in urban areas rather than suburban or rural areas. And they have a quote here from the study author, a guy by the name of Dean Fido. Fido, F-I-D-O, that's how you spell it. You can figure out how to pronounce it. Our relationship with nature is well-documented and timeless experience that is becoming increasingly strained due to fast-paced living, hectic life schedules, and an emphasis on convenience. And I don't think it's a coincidence. When we do those anger segments and I talk about how much anger has been increasing throughout the years, I don't think it's a coincidence that this stuff is going on. When you, when you think about the lifestyles that a lot of people are leading yeah, I mean, I can see where people uh, are, you know, are quick to get angry and want to have confrontations. Now, this Dean Fido, what he wound up doing was he wound up taking a survey amongst 304 adults in the United Kingdom back in January 2019. So this is before the pandemic. I wonder what the results would be now uh, post-pandemic era. It says 304 adults, and it was done through a crowdsourcing website. The participants indicated where they preferred to live among three options, city, suburbs, or rural. They also completed assessments of nature connectedness and the dark personality traits, among other measures. Fido and his colleagues found that individuals who scored higher on the measure of dark personality traits tended to prefer living in a city over living in the suburbs or rural areas. In addition, the researchers found a negative relationship between nature connectedness and psychopathy among both male and female participants. People who had heightened psychopathic traits were less likely to agree with the statements such as my relationship to nature is an important part of who I am. So if you're a person in a survey who has a tendency for high psychopathic traits, you really don't give a damn about being around nature. The researchers replicated their findings in a second study which included another 235 adults from the United Kingdom. This article also goes on to say, even though we speak about psychopathy, this is a personality trait which everyone in the general population has to some degree. And unlike damning media representations, it is not always deviant and dangerous in nature. Indeed, many people who exhibit high degrees of psychopathic traits take up work in areas of medicine and the army, owing to their ability to stay calm, cool, under pressure, and not make judgments that are based on emotion. So in other words, just because you exhibit some psychopathic traits, that doesn't necessarily mean that, it doesn't always mean that it's negative. Now, I don't know how many people out there listening would agree with that article, but one thing I can tell you is this. What I've noticed about myself is that 
when I'm driving in the city versus, and by the way, you hear Mr. Bird out there. Y'all hear it? Chirp on Mr. Bird, chirp on. <laughs> no, but it's like these people that do those uh, Zoom calls and things and you hear dogs barking in the background and <laughs> or the kids may be making noise and stuff. So we're pretty much used to this anyway. But no, man, I notice myself when I'm driving, when I'm driving through the city and I might be heading towards the suburbs where things are more spread out and there's more green in the area, you know, grass and, and trees and less people. I feel more calmer in those areas versus when I'm driving through the city and I'm fighting through traffic and, and blocks and blocks of buildings. And I mean, it's just a different feeling for myself and it's noticeable. I mean, I notice at the moment, particularly like if I'm heading on 290 and I'm heading towards the Western suburbs or heading out to the Southern suburbs, things are a little bit more open. Yeah. I mean, I notice a difference in feeling myself. Now, if you believe the survey, I guess that means that I have less of a tendency for psychopathic traits. I mean, I don't know. Sounds like WNUA or something, you know, but, you know, WNUA, I think they, um, they're no longer, there is no more WNUA, right? That used to be the local smooth jazz station here in, in the city. Yeah, they've been gone for some years. I don't know what they've turned into now, but I know some station here plays smooth jazz. I just don't know what station it is. You know, I don't really listen to the radio like I used to. Because there are so many different platforms and things out here to hear to hear music on. You know, because I used to make it a point to listen to the radio. I would always kind of switch and listen to different stations. A lot of times it was WGCI V103, which used to be, if you remember back in the day, anybody that lives in the city, you go back to the 80s, V103 used to be WBMX. As a matter of fact, Doug Banks used to be on WBMX. This is before he became syndicated. Got a syndicated radio show. 
Then he switched to WGCI around about the late 80s and did mornings. And then sometime after that, he became syndicated. Doug Banks, who's since passed on, rest in peace, Doug Banks. But yeah, man, I don't listen to the radio that much. There's a guy here in Chicago that goes by the name of Ray Neal, N-E-A-L. I had actually talked about him on the last podcast, but it didn't make the final cut when I was talking about streaming services or what have you. But he has a show here that broadcasting on Saturday nights from like 6 to 1 in the morning or something like that, 6 to 12 or something. So it was really crazy long hours. College radio, WKKC here in Chicago, which if you know anything about college radio, they don't have a strong broadcast signal. So you can only get it within a certain area. But what he was really doing, the reason why he was on so long is because he was running two shows. He was running his show that ran from six to eight. And then he took over another show that ran from eight till about midnight or so. It was a guy by the name of Richard Pegee. Now, Ray Neal was mentored by Richard Pegee, who has since passed on. And just to honor his memory, he took over his show. And his show was called The Best Music of Your Life, where he played a lot of old school classic soul records. And I'm talking about 60s, early to maybe even late 50s every now and then. But I would try to catch Ray Neal on Saturday nights. And I'm going to tell you something, man. Ray Neal, he is a walking music encyclopedia. This guy knows his stuff. No doubt about it. I can't tell you how many songs that I've discovered that I never heard before because Ray Neal had been planning on the show. There used to be a song back in the day called All I Do Is Think Of You by, by Troop. It came out around about the late 80s, but I didn't know that that song was a remake. It was originally done by the Jackson 5, and it was a B-side. Had no idea. I mean, as many years as I've been listening to that song, I had no idea it was a remake. But I found that out by listening to Ray Neal's show. Uh, he's got a website now. He's no longer uh, broadcasting on WKKC, as far as I can tell. He started his own media. It's called Ray Neal Media, where you can click on any time of the uh, day or night or anywhere in the world if you have an internet connection. He's got several different uh, genres of music that you can go to his website, click on and check out. And he's even got an app, too. You can download from the App Store. It's called, uh, what is it called? The Best Music of Your Life. Because I got it on my phone. I just picked it up. It's called The Best Music of Your Life. So now I'm going to click this app. Let me see what they're playing. Stylistics. Let me put it up here so y'all can hear. So this is the app, The Best Music of Your Life. And it says playing... The best old school and dusties from 1950s on up to 2000. So that covers a wide range of music. And I love it, man. I mean, I'm telling you, since I discovered that he's got all this stuff going on, I've been playing a lot of stuff from his um, site. And by the way, let me say this too. I'm not affiliated with Ray Neal. I don't know him personally. Never met him. The only thing I know of him is me listening to him on the radio. Never met the guy. I don't know anything about him. Never had a conversation with him. Nothing. But I am a fan of what he does because I'm a fan of music, you know, so. But he does. He has a website. He plays a lot of different music. You can even do advertising on the site, Silent. And I was thinking about maybe maybe doing advertisement for the show. So I don't know. That might be something we'll have to look into. He played a song, Silent, that I never heard before. Guy by the name of Michael Franks. 
song called um, One Bad Habit. Now, when I heard it, I said, man, this sounds like a good stepping record. You live in Chicago, you know about these stepping parties, you know. Silent Look, I got to tell you, I never heard of that record before. But again, I tell you, whenever I listen to his program, I always find something that I, I always find something different, you know, which is no surprise. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I know, but there's also a lot of stuff I don't know. Yeah, that's grown folk music. That's the kind of music you play at the parties, and you just, you know, it's not angry music. It's just feel good music, you know? Yes, indeed, I do. I just have one bad habit, only one bad habit, and it's you. One Bad Habit. And that's the name of the album, too, One Bad Habit. I saw he's got an album, but I pulled it up on my streaming service called One Bad Habit, but that's the title track, I guess, to that album. Well, listen, we've come to the end of another podcast, Podcast 43, another one in the books. Now, like I always say at the end of every podcast, if you go somewhere and the vibe don't feel right, leave. Don't stick around. Don't second guess. Trust your mind. Trust your instincts because that's what you have them for. Live to fight another day. And I'll add this too: stay away from idiots because an idiot can get you in a hell of a lot of trouble. You'll be with an idiot. They'll be to kick something off. And before you know it, you'll find yourself in a situation that you don't necessarily want to be in. And the thing about it is they'll get you in trouble and they'll be just fine, you know. So stay away from idiots. Stay safe. Keep your family safe. Live to fight another day and be around to check us out on our 44th podcast. So, with all that being said, I am E, and for the silent DJ, this has been the Grown Folk Podcast, episode 43. And we are out. Take us home, Lionel.
Yeah, we still here. Me and Silent gonna hang around and play some records for a while. Because I don't know how long it's gonna be before we see each other again, so we're just gonna vibe out a little bit. If you guys wanna stay, just let us know. 